I invite you to turn to the gospel according to Luke chapter 17. I'd like to reflect with you upon this story of the ten lepers being healed and the one returning to give thanks. I'd like to begin reading at Luke 17, verse 7, and then read through verse 19. And we'll focus on verses 11 through 19 this morning. Luke 17, at verse 7, we give our attention to the word of the Lord. Jesus is speaking. He says at verse 7, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And here's our focus, verse 11 and following. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise. Go your way, your faith has made you well, or more literally, has saved you. Let's ask for God's blessing. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we may hear the word of our God spoken about the kind of gratitude that pleases you and brings blessing to our lives. We pray that you'd work that in us today through Jesus. In his name we ask it. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, Congregation of Christ, imagine if this morning you were not here in a worship service and you did not have plans for a Thanksgiving feast, but, but you were hospitalized. You were sick. You could not leave the hospital. Imagine, even worse, if you were at a medical facility at some distance away and you were in quarantine, isolated with an infectious disease. You were not allowed to have any visitors whatsoever. The only medical staff you saw were fully gowned and masked and you had not seen a human smile for weeks or months. Imagine if the disease you had led many people to believe that, that you had contracted it through sinful behavior. And even if you hadn't, yet you felt guilty in your heart because you knew that though you might not have committed a particular sin, you committed lots of sin deserving of God's judgment. And imagine if there was no cure in sight for your disease, there was no hope of leaving there. 
There was nothing to look forward to. You knew that all your family might gather on this Thanksgiving and enjoy sweet fellowship and a feast, but you were far off and you felt like an outcast. And imagine if on Thanksgiving morning you lifted up a prayer to God and he brought great healing, remarkable healing, fast healing. Your test came back clear. The doctor amazingly released you on the spot, and you were off. Everything had changed, a complete reversal of your existence. If you can imagine such a scenario, you begin just, I think, to have a little taste of of what happens here in the the story before us. We, We come here to a little lesson in Thanksgiving that the Lord of Thanksgiving gives to us, and I want you to set your eyes upon Jesus this morning. He is the Lord of gratitude. He commands it, he enables it, he receives it, he blesses it. He's the Lord of gratitude. And we don't want to look at the story here, Luke 17, 11 through 19, noticing, first of all, the reasons for gratitude, and then secondly, we see this refusal to give thanks, and then focusing upon the riches, the riches of returning to Jesus with thanksgiving. Well, first of all, we see the reasons for gratitude Jesus here is on the way to Jerusalem, and we know why he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem to die. He's going to Jerusalem to take upon himself the sins of his people in order to purify them. Earlier, there's a healing of a leper in the Gospel of Luke. And you remember when the man says, you you know, you can heal me if, if you want to, and Jesus reaches out and touches him says, I'm willing, be cleansed. And with that touch, Jesus says, I will become the leper. I take your contamination upon myself. And that's a picture of, of what Christ is on the way to do here. He's going to the cross to carry our guilt away, to bear the curse that we deserve. What a Savior he is. But on this way now, he meets other lepers, 10 desperate men who are bound together in their misery, their wretchedness. There's mixed ethnic identities here, Samaritan and presumably Jews who don't normally associate, but misery loves company and you take whom you can get when your life is a wretched mess. In the Bible, we read about leprosy and we know as we think of it today, most people have in mind what's called Hansen's disease, a horrible disease that affects the skin and nervous system and so forth. But we know that in the Old Testament, Leprosy was a broader category that included various skin diseases, and so they could have varying degrees of discomfort and, and decay and so forth. But no matter what the condition of the physical body, the greatest trouble was always something beyond the physical. It was that there's great, enormous spiritual and social consequences of this disease, because According to Leviticus 13, the one who had leprosy was ceremonially unclean, which means the person was unable to approach God. He was unfit for God's presence and even unfit for the society of God's people. Leviticus 13 explains that if a person has sores on their skin, they have to go be examined by a priest who functioned as a kind of a kind of health officer in Israel. And if he was found to have leprosy and and these tests were performed, then he was to be declared by the priest as unclean. And if that was the declaration, then he had to tear his clothes to cover his face. And if anyone approached him, he had to cry out, unclean, unclean. He had to live outside the camp 
or outside the city. He was evicted from life. And so to, to be diagnosed with leprosy was to be exiled from the joys of Israel. Can you imagine nervously going, not just to the doctor as we do today sometimes, hoping it's nothing, but going to the priest when you have that sore that appears on your body and just hoping against hope that he won't say the terrible word leprosy. Because you know about so-and-so, because when, when the priest said leprosy over his life, he had to say goodbye to his wife and children, to his job, to his synagogue, and go live out in some colony with lepers. Leprosy was, in many ways, worse than death. It was a living death. It was to be cut off from family meals and from the embrace of loved ones, from the sweet faces of your children. It was to, to leave brothers and sisters at church behind, to give up all feasting, no thanksgiving for you. And yet God used the disease of leprosy in the Bible to, to teach us people, to teach us that, that this is what we are by nature. By nature, we are unclean, we are unfit, and we are exiled from God's presence with no rights to family fellowship. We are outcasts by our sin, and we are utterly helpless to provide a cure to make ourselves better. But how wonderful this story is, right? Because in the midst of helplessness, they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Apparently they've heard something about this Jesus. Maybe they heard about that other leper being cleansed. And they're crying out for mercy. And you know, brothers and sisters, what mercy is. It's, it's not the pleading of, of, here I am, I will do something for you, Jesus. I have something to offer you. I can pay my way. I deserve this. But mercy is, is coming empty-handed. <clears throat> I've got nothing. I deserve nothing good from you. But look upon me with undeserved favor. And you know, that is really where Thanksgiving begins, right? With that recognition that we deserve nothing of the blessings of our Lord. Whenever we have a sense of entitlement, we are unable and unwilling and undesires to express gratitude. Those who think that Christ owes them something are those who are embittered or discontent. I deserve better. But to come to the point of saying, I didn't deserve a single meal I ate in this past week. I didn't deserve a single night of sleep I had in the past year. I didn't deserve a single paycheck. I didn't deserve a single hug for my children or grandchildren. I forfeited everything through sin. I deserve from God no blessing whatsoever. In fact, talking about deserving, if I demand my wages, give me my pay, God, what I deserve, well, Romans tells us that your paycheck is death. Eternal death is your payment. But if finding merit in ourselves or proclaiming merit, and we do that in different ways sometimes. Sometimes we say, you know, I've worked so hard for you, Lord. Or other times we make excuses and we say, you know, well, well, it wasn't my fault. I'm, I'm being misrepresented or, or I'll do better next time. But if we come with none of that and we realize, oh, that's really useless, what can we bring? Well, all we have to bring to the feet of the Lord Jesus is the cry, Lord, have mercy. And Jesus, what does he do? He shows mercy. He shows mercy. He doesn't negotiate with them. 
He says, go show yourself to the priests. You realize that when somebody got healed, they couldn't just, they couldn't just jump back into life. They had to return to the priests now to be re-inspected and to receive the certificate, the declaration of, of being clean. And so they take Christ at his word and they go. And as they go, they are healed by the power of Jesus. Christ is revealing himself here, isn't he? That's what he's doing throughout all of his miracles. He's he's revealing himself that this is the kind of of Messiah that comes. He comes to, to heal, to restore, to make clean, to give life back to people who've lost it. What a glorious Savior we have who takes our uncleanness upon himself, substitutes himself in our place to bring us to God and to bring us into the family of God. He is full of mercy. And every blessing that we have is in Christ Jesus through the cross. So we can look upon everything spiritual, forgiveness of sins and fellowship with God, but also clothing and food and jobs as the gifts of mercy. The pathway to a thankful heart requires, number one, a recognition. I deserve nothing good. And then number two, God has dealt with me in mercy. Those are the reasons for gratitude. I deserve nothing. God has been merciful to me. Have you humbled yourself before God to confess that you forfeited every claim to blessing? And have you humbled yourself to acknowledge that God has lavished upon you mercy upon mercy? But once you see the reasons for gratitude here that Jesus reveals, then consider the refusal to give thanks that Jesus rebukes. Notice that secondly this morning. When they're all healed, just one of the lepers returns praising the Lord. And Jesus, the first words when this leper returns, verse 17, Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Jesus, in those words, reveals that he expects thanksgiving. Here comes a man gushing with praise to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus doesn't respond and say, oh, you shouldn't. You shouldn't say all that. I can't believe you came all the way back. You know, you didn't need to do that. It's not what he says. Jesus says, what about the others? Jesus expects thanksgiving. He's the Lord and the master of gratitude. He, he deserves it. He is God come down from heaven to give us God's mercies. We may not pat ourselves on the back this morning. You know that we went to church and we, we, we worshipped as if this was some extraordinary thing. God should be so pleased. The gratitude is the expectation of the Lord of mercy. It's not optional. It's mandatory. It is to be the very nature of the Christian life. It's so remarkable in Romans chapter 1, isn't it, that as Paul is going to describe this degradation, this sinking down in darkness of mind and, and gross sexual immorality, that it begins with the words, they neither glorified God nor were they thankful. That's where it starts. I read this quote by Os Guinness this week. He writes, Rebellion against God, rebellion against God does not begin with the clenched fist of atheism. 
but with the self-satisfied heart of the one for whom thank you is redundant. Maybe we say, I'm thankful. Well, then Christ says, do you express it? 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Gratitude is not just, well, you know, I'm thankful. No, let me hear you thankful, God says. Express it. Remember, Lord's Day 45, the Catechism says that, that prayer is the chief part of the gratitude God requires of us. Prayer is the most important part, saying thank you to God. Jesus says, where are all the other ones to say thank you? Where are their prayers? Jesus is disappointed. Jesus is grieved, and Jesus is still disappointed and grieved when he doesn't have a full return on the hearts of his people. Now, what's also noteworthy here is that Jesus says, were there not any found who, were, who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? The one who returns is the Samaritan. You remember the Samaritans were those mixed-race people because when Jews were deported under the Assyrians from the northern kingdom, the Assyrians brought in other people to the land and they intermarried the Jews and the pagan peoples. And so there's a, a mixed ethnic identity and there became a mixed religion. And so the Jews thought of the Samaritans as apostates. They're not pure. They don't go to the true church. And they despised them. Samaritans didn't have access to all things Jewish the way the Jews did. And they didn't know better as the Jews did. And Jesus says, how unlikely is this that the one who comes back to give me thanks is the Samaritan? Would expect to be the Jews. It's often in Christ's ministry, and it's often in the apostles' ministry later on, that, that the foreigners outshine the Jews, right? And you say, well, how is that? And God says, well, there's often among his people pride and presumption. We are the covenant people. We're the elect of God. We deserve these things. Or, or there was the, the familiarity which led to complacency. We always get blessed. That's what God does. We deserve it. And all of that was very distressing to God. But Jesus proclaimed in John 4, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And now Christ has gained a true worshiper in this one Samaritan returns. But he reveals in the absence of the nine the pride that destroys thanksgiving. Should be a cause of concern for us, shouldn't it? If we find in our hearts and our lives little thanksgiving. If we take the blessings of the Lord and run. But coming to worship, that's something we're slow to do. Or bowing our heads in prayer with True gratitude is a thing that's, that's the unexpected and the unusual, something we think we're pretty big about when we finally do it. Jesus expects thanksgiving, and he rebukes that refusal. The ten lepers are in a dangerous place, it turns out. Presumption is deadly. 
But then finally this morning, notice the riches, the riches of returning to Jesus with thanksgiving. Let's return to that one leper who came back to Jesus. Just imagine how that was, these ten lepers running for the priests and and hoping upon hope here that, that Christ is going to heal them as he implied in his words. And as they're running, maybe they look at each other and like, or maybe their voice, vocal cords had been had been so ruptured by the disease, they were raspy voices, they began to speak clear. Something happens, they're running, they, I think you've been healed, what's going on? And they, they're amazed, they, they look at each other. And the other nine, upon realizing they've been healed, sprint for the priest. They want to get declared, certified, so they can get home to their families. But, but the one leper, the Samaritan, he can't go on. The priest can wait. My family can wait. What cannot wait is returning to Jesus with thanksgiving. And it's amazing what happens here. We read that verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, isn't this remarkable? At the beginning, they stand at a distance. As the law commanded them to do, they could not come near to the healthy and the pure, stood at a distance, but this time, he runs up to the very feet of Jesus, comes near. One writer beautifully describes it like this. Being sure of his healing, he enjoyed his first act of freedom, not standing at a distance, but falling on his face right at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. His first act of freedom, he gets to come into the presence of the Son of God, the Messiah, and give him thanks. And then Jesus says to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. The man who is walking as the living dead, right, is told now to arise to new life and to go on now knowing that his faith has made him well. Literally, it says, your faith has saved you. And, and there are those who take it just as as the New King James translates it, it has made you well, meaning by your faith you've been cured. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. All of them were cured. All ten of them were cured. But Jesus is saying something else now. He's saying your faith has saved you. That you, by faith, have entered into the fullness of salvation. You are abroad into fellowship with God and brought into the family of the children of God. This is an amazing thing, right? Because the priest could never say that. The priest stood to administer the law and declare the condemnation, you have leprosy. And then he could declare the word of vindication, you've been healed of leprosy. But he couldn't do what Jesus did. What the law was powerless to do, Christ has done. He bore the leprosy, he took away the uncleanness, and he declares us right with God justified before the Lord. Now, the wonder of what goes on here is in contrast to the sadness of what happens with the other nine. Do you recognize that geographically, the other nine are further from Jesus than when they started? Right? They're, they come to Jesus, but they're a bit off, and they yell to him. But upon their healing now, they are geographically further away from Jesus 
than before they came to him. And in contrast, the one leper who returns with thanksgiving is remarkably closer to Jesus than he started with. What do you think Luke is telling us here? The superficiality of the faith of those first ones, they believed in miracles. And they cried for mercy, but apparently they didn't really believe in mercy. Maybe they thought all along, I deserve better than this leprosy. I got a, I got a bad deal. They deprived Jesus of thanksgiving. And in the end, they are deprived of the greatest blessing, aren't they? There's an irony, isn't there, that when the blessings of the Lord are, are given, if one does not return to the Lord with gratitude, in the end, those blessings may lead us further from God than before. It's not hard to see, is it? Just take wealth, for instance. Wherever people have money but not the Lord, they grow in distance, don't they, from the Lord. The ten lepers are content to remain at a distance. They want the power of the healing but not the person of Jesus. And so they miss out on the greatest blessing of all, don't they? I mean, what is it to go home now and to be able to hug your wife and see your children, but not to do it in the Lord and through the Lord and for the Lord? How sad. How long till marriage troubles start? How long till there's despair, not knowing how to raise children? How long till there's overwhelming frustration at work? I mean, what, is, what are all the blessings of this life if we don't have them in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? They're, they're empty, they're vain, they're hollow. And even if they, they, they allure us for this lifetime, they're done at the moment Jesus returns or we die. They miss out on the most glorious gift of all as we stuff our mouths with food or rejoice over the size of our bank account or, or number our children. It's great sadness. On the other hand, if in receiving from God's hand we return to our Lord with gratitude, then the gifts are sanctified and lead to the joys of knowing the Lord. Norval Geldenheis writes, There is nothing that can bind one more closely to Jesus than sincere gratitude. We love because he first loved us. Is that marvelous? That as we receive gifts, we return to give thanks. We are bound ever closer to our wonderful Savior. And we learn more and more what it is to say, we love him because he first loved us. On this Thanksgiving, we think, don't we, about so many material blessings and so much bounty. Maybe we think of the history of the United States and all the ways of God's providence. But it's a hollow thing, isn't it? To think about the past or to look at the blessings of the present if we're not on our faces before the Lord Jesus. Do you know him? And the power of his cross? 
and in the power of his resurrection, in the mercy of his dying in the place of the unclean, and of his freely giving mercy to all who call upon him. Are there any blessings, dear friends, that you're trying to enjoy outside of fellowship with Jesus Christ? Then they will lead you only further from Christ. But if this morning we come with all the bounty heaped up, back to our Lord Jesus and say, thank you. I deserve nothing and you've given me everything. Then we may know the greatest gift there is in all of the world. Because gratitude, you see, is the fruit of faith. And where there is no gratitude, there is no faith. But to come back to Jesus is to hear the good news that by faith you are saved. You're part of the family. The blessings of this life are just the beginning. A banquet awaits you. The great Savior is coming. So a thankful spirit is to be ours. J.C. Ryle says, I'll close with this. A thankful spirit, it is the spirit which God loves and delights to honor. It is the spirit which has marked all the brightest saints in every age of the church. It is the spirit which is the very atmosphere of heaven. It is the spirit which is the source of happiness on earth. Rejoice this morning that Christ is the Lord of gratitude. He commands it. He enables it. He blesses it. May he be praised. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, how we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves and to our ungrateful hearts, but you have visited us with humbling mercies and saving mercies. We thank you for our Savior who has taken our place and raised us to life. God, we thank you for your bounty towards us. Forgive us, Lord, for loving the gifts and neglecting the giver. May we return always to our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.